0: Through the wonders of the internet, we're able to stay connected today in ways that were unheard of in previous generations. We're not only to stay connected with friends and relatives, but with the rich and famous as well. Celebrity stalker sites like TMZ enable us to know where our favorite stars ate last night, what they did after they ate, and what they planned to have for breakfast this morning. There's very little the celebrity stalkers do not know about our favorite celebrities, and nothing they know is withheld. If, by chance, there is something that the celebrity stalkers do not know, the celebrities themselves reveal them as we follow them on Twitter and become fans on Facebook. This enables us to connect, at least nominally, with the celebrities themselves. We can read their thoughts, we can see their pictures, and we can just generally know whatever is on their minds and going on in their lives. Facebook allows someone to create a page for just about anyone or anything else. There are fan pages for politicians. There are fan pages for long-dead celebrities. There are fan pages for authors, for books, for magazines, television shows, and movies. Through Facebook, you can even become a fan of Jesus. And from what I can tell, there are multiple fan pages for Jesus and millions of fans for each one. And as I thought about this, I couldn't help but wonder, how many of these fans were actually followers of Jesus? And it may not seem like it, but there is a huge difference between a fan and a follower. The main difference comes down in the area of daily devotion. A fan of Jesus may think he is great, but really doesn't feel any sort of obligation to do what Jesus says. Fans like the whole not judging thing, especially as it relates to them. Fans like that Jesus has promised to hear their prayers and be with them at life. Fans, however, aren't quite as fond of Jesus' teaching on holiness and sacrifice. And as far as taking up their crosses to follow Jesus, well, they, they liked him on Facebook. That's basically the same thing, right? Being a follower of Jesus is very different from being a fan. Where a fan of Jesus may have prayed a prayer at some point in the past, the follower of Jesus lives for Jesus in the present. And this is an important distinction. There's nothing in Scripture that leads me to believe that salvation is a prayer that we've prayed at some point in the past that has no impact on our daily lives today. In fact, Scripture leads me to just the opposite conclusion. Scripture teaches that the salvation Jesus died to provide not only changes our eternal destiny, but it has a profound impact on our day-to-day lives. Salvation turns fans into followers. Today we're going to look at a passage that will help us understand why we must know the difference between a fan and a follower. Open your Bible to Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, that's page 738 in the Pew Bibles. When you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Matthew 7 and 21. Title of the message this morning is Fan or Follower. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Father, we come today celebrating the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, thankful at the price that he paid for the salvation that we have received. Father, we live in a world that makes it easy to be casual in our commitment to to anything and to everything, especially to you. Father, it is easy to slip into the routine of a fan, not really be a follower. Lord, today we need you to guide us. We need you to search us, to test us, to see if there's anything in our lives that's not as it should be, to show us the way of everlasting life. Father, the passage we're looking at today is challenging tough. Lord, the temptation will be for us to lay it aside and to act like it doesn't pertain to us. Today, let your Holy Spirit prevent us from being able to do that. Father, send your Holy Spirit to come, to use your word like a hammer to knock down strongholds that we might have erected in our lives that are, and bring our thoughts to obedience to Jesus Christ. Father, let your Holy Spirit come today and use your word like a sword to bring us to a place of genuine repentance. Father, let your Holy Spirit empower your Holy Spirit to to use the word like a fire to burn away the junk and the dross from our lives. We can be pure vessels for Jesus. We need you today, God, to do a work in our hearts that we cannot do ourselves. We need you, Father, to make our hearts good ground. So that your words sink down deep and to bring forth fruit into everlasting life. Father, help us today to see our need for Jesus. Strengthen us. Courage us. Convict us. and Save us. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me clarity of thought clarity of speech. That I could speak your words and your ways for your glory. We ask all of this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus starts this section of the Sermon on the Mount in what I would say is a disturbing way. says that not everyone who says to him, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And a part of what that means is that not everyone who thinks they're saved is saved. Not everyone who, who thinks that heaven will be their eternal home will find heaven as their eternal home. Now, roughly 80% of the people in our culture believe in heaven. At least that's what like time news polls say. And out of the 80% that believe that heaven is real the vast majority of those people believe they're going to heaven. So it's no surprise that the people in this passage expect heaven to be their home. What is surprising is who Jesus is talking to when he says that they're going to be surprised. Right? Notice that they, they say to him, Lord, Lord, in verse 21. In verse 22, it talks about the, the things that they have done in Jesus' name. And what this gets to us is, the people Jesus is talking to, these are not irreligious people. These are not the Romans who are making sacrifices to the goddess at Ephesus. In our culture, these would be people who profess faith in Jesus Christ. These would be people who attend church, at least semi-regularly. These would be people who are probably good moral people. And yet Jesus says to them, heaven will not be their home. What a a horrific kind of a thought. That someone can be deceived about their eternal destination. And the central truth that we've got to understand from this is that fans profess Jesus without possessing salvation. See, the people that Jesus is talking to, they are fans of Jesus. They like Him. They like the things that He says. They like the things that He does. But they've never really crossed the line from being a fan to being a follower. They like some of the ideas. They like some of... Uh, Of his teachings and his miracles. But as far as really surrendering their life to Jesus. They've never actually done that. Now, initially we want to push back and say, come on, that can't really be what it means. I mean, how can someone profess Jesus with their mouth and really not possess salvation? And if this was like the only place in scripture we saw this, we might could find an alternative reading of the passage. But this is another one. That's almost identical. They profess to know God, but in works they deny Him. Being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. Paul warns against people who profess Jesus with their mouth without possessing salvation. They, they say they follow Jesus, but their lives tell a different story. These are people that are fans... And not followers. And in this passage, Jesus gives us, I guess, two characteristics of a fan. That shows why they can possess, or they can profess Jesus without actually possessing salvation. The first is that fans say right things without doing right things. And in verse 21, Jesus says they, they call him Lord, Lord. And the word that, that Jesus uses for Lord is the word that, that referred to God in the Old Testament. And what they're saying is they are, they are calling Jesus Lord. They, they are professing that Jesus is God. And yet, despite the fact they are what we might say doctrinally sound, they really have never embraced Jesus Christ. These are people that if you were to ask them to tell you things about Jesus, they would affirm Jesus is God. They would probably affirm that Jesus was born of a virgin. They would affirm that he he lived a sinless life, he, he died on the cross and he and he rose again. They would with their mouth they would profess all of these truths. And yet they still find themselves not entering the kingdom of heaven, And I think about when I was a kid. I, I was raised in church and I can't remember a time when we were not in church. And growing up in church, I have always known truths about Jesus. There has never been a time in my life when I did not believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. I can't remember a time when I didn't believe that. I can't remember a time when I ever believed that Jesus sinned. I can't remember a time where I ever doubted that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, or that He rose from the dead. Once, when I was in the, probably the seventh grade, somebody I, we got into a discussion about the Bible, and, and, and I was not truly I mean I wasn't truly saved until I was 19 years old. That's like the seventh grade, and we got into a discussion about, a, about the Bible. And a friend of mine, he said, well, the Bible's just a book, and it's often wrong. And to show him how, how much I disagreed, I slugged him. I believed it with all of my, fi- every fiber of my being. I didn't know how to react in the right ways, but I believed it. But I was 19 before my knowledge of who Jesus was ever made a difference in my life. I believed, I professed Jesus with my mouth, but I never possessed salvation. I I was a fan of Jesus. And what Jesus says about the fans here, they say, Lord, Lord. So they say the right things, but notice what they go on to say. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. See, these people that Jesus is talking about in verse 21... They do say all the right things. They give all of the right answers about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. But the knowledge that they have of this, it makes no difference in their daily lives. They, they profess it, but they don't live it. They can say the right things, but the right things never actually come out into their lives. And what we have to understand is there is an unbreakable link between faith and works. James chapter 2, James says faith without works is dead. That's important. Because James doesn't say faith without works is a problem. James doesn't say faith without works isn't best. James says faith without works is dead. And and that's, that's important considering the Bible says Jesus came to give us life. So a faith that doesn't impact the way that we live, is dead. There is, there is no life in that. And that's what Jesus is warning about in verse 21. Fans can answer all the right questions, and they can say all of the right things, but it never really works its way out into their lives, and so they are not genuinely, truly born again. They're not saved. And that's harsh, isn't it? I mean, that's a, gosh, what a, what a hard statement. And we would like to push back and say, well, that can't be what it means. I mean, we, we want to soften it up and, and make it mean something else. And again, if this was the only place we saw something like this, maybe we could. But the Bible gives us more warnings. When God had people write scripture, he knew that people throughout the ages would want to know how they were saved. And how can I be certain that I'm saved if it's an issue of faith? There's no nothing falls down from the heavens telling me there's no box that's checked. How can I be sure? So the Apostle John wrote a book that had a series of tests. By this, you know that you're saved. And in this passage, he deals with it. And he said, by this, we know that we know him. Right? We know God. How, how can I be sure that I know who God is and what God is like? If we keep His commandments. It's pretty plain. I mean, think about that. If, if God is who the Bible says He is. If He is great and awesome. If He is sovereign. And if He is the ruler. And if He has sent His Son to die in our place for our sins. Then knowing Him will make a difference in my life. I can't know the great and glorious God of the Bible and remain the same. And the way that I'll be different is I will keep His commandments. I will begin to do what He says. I will recognize that a God that awesome deserves my allegiance.
1: That a God that great deserves
0: my loyalty. That a God who's omniscient is right, therefore I should do His will. But John, not content to to let us argue with that, he goes on. He said, he who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is what? A liar. John had not read how to win friends and influence people. John did not know how to kind of gloss over things. John was just blunt. Think about that. Anyone can say, I know Jesus. Anyone can say, I'm a follower of Christ. But if I claim that and I don't live that, the Bible, not not me, my opinion does not count. The Bible says, if I claim it but don't live it, I am a liar. And the truth is not in me. Truth, again, is a significant word in Scripture. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Scripture is truth, Jesus said. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Therefore, if I claim to know Him, but I don't live for Him, the Son of God is not in me, the Word of God is not in me, and the Spirit of God is not in me. I am a liar. The truth is not in me. But whoever keeps His word, truly the love of God is perfected in Him. But again, how do I know that I love God? What demonstrates my love For the Lord, but I keep his commandments. Jesus said over and over in John 14, He who loves me, obeys me. He who does not obey me, does not love me. My love for God is demonstrated in my obedience to God. By this we know that we are in him. How do I know that I'm in Christ, that I'm in Jesus, and I'm in salvation? He who says he abides in him, ought himself to walk As he also, he who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Right? If I say I'm in Christ, I'm a follower of Christ, I should live like Jesus lived. How did Jesus live? Absolute obedience to the Father. He did what God the Father wanted him to do. Jesus did not just say right things. Jesus did right things. As a a follower of Jesus... A follower goes beyond saying, I follow Jesus, to actually following Jesus. It makes a a profound impact and change in our lives. There is always a connection between faith and works. When I believe God, I obey God. When I love God, I obey God. When I know God, I obey God. Obedience is always there. No one can truly say they know Jesus if they do not obey Jesus. The difference between a fan and a follower. Fans say right things, but don't do right things. Followers say right things and they do right things. A fan will profess Jesus without possessing salvation because they never actually do the things that Jesus said they're supposed to do. The second characteristic of a fan is that fans trust in themselves and not in Jesus. One word in verse 22 that i circled in my Bible. Many. Many will say to me in that day. I just want you to let the weight of that kind of sink in for a second, not one or two, not a couple, many, there are many people who profess Jesus, but do not possess salvation. That is a, a nightmare scenario for every pastor I know. To think that people can come to church week after week, month after month, year after year. Hear scripture and the gospel proclaimed and yet never truly know the Lord. Be deceived. Many will say on that day. And he will say, I depart from me. I never knew you. Now the problem with these people is different than the problem with the people in verse 21. Verse 22, it says, And they will say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, and cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Right? These people, they've done stuff. Right? They, they have actually gone out and, and begun to serve Jesus. They've done things, and yet they still find themselves excluded from the kingdom of God. Not allowed in. So we have to say, well, what's wrong here? And as I was studying that... I noticed that they find themselves surprised that they're not being allowed in the kingdom of heaven. And so in an effort to, to demonstrate why they should be there, they begin to list all of their good deeds. They began to explain why they deserve to go to heaven. We've, we've done good things in your name. We've cast out demons in your name. We deserve this because of what we've done. They, they trust in themselves. And not in Jesus. Let me ask you a question this morning. Why should God allow you into heaven? It's an important question. Right when you, when you die and you stand before the Lord. If he were to ask you, why should I allow you into my heaven? How would you answer that question? And the way we answer is important. Right? If if in our answer we say, Jesus died for my sins. And I have repented and I believed, and I am trusting in Christ. That is the right answer. That is the biblical answer. If on the other hand we say, I was a, a good husband. And I was a moral person. And I was kind and generous and good. And I tried not to gossip and I didn't cuss out in public. If we begin to list all of the good things we have done... We are just like the people in verse 22. We are trusting in ourselves and our goodness and our good deeds to get us into heaven and not in Jesus. But with this, we do find some tension, don't we? Because in verse 21, they, they said they believed the right things, but they didn't do anything. These people, they do things, but they're still excluded. How do we reconcile the tension Between those who say they believe but don't work and those who work but still aren't allowed in. How do we resolve the tension? Think we resolve the tension by answering this question. Why do I do what I do? Why do I do the good deeds that I do? Do I do them to be righteous? Do, Do I try to be a good person so that I can be accepted by God? Do I try to be moral so that that I will be accepted by God, that God will see I'm a good person? Or, do I do them because Jesus has made me righteous? Do I live a moral life because I serve a holy Savior who has saved me from the penalty of sin? Do I do them so that God will love me? If I do good, God will love me and bless me in my life. If I'm faithful and moral, then God will love me and say, that's my servant, well done good and faithful servant? Or, do I do them because God has demonstrated His love for me on the cross? Do I say that I know God loves me, and I know that God has accepted me, and the cross declares that clearly? Therefore, I will live my life for Jesus. Now, these questions really don't sound that different. But there is all the difference in the world in the answers. To understand why there is such a difference in And the answer is we have to go back to who Jesus is and what Jesus did. See, Jesus wasn't just a good man. He wasn't just a good teacher. He, He is God in the flesh. John 12 and 41 tells us that when Isaiah saw the vision of the great and the glorious God sitting on the throne with all of the angels bowing and worshiping him, that that was Jesus in all of his glory. See, Jesus wasn't always the good shepherd, the kind person that we see there. In heaven, Jesus was great and awesome, glorious and mighty. The angels bowed before him and worshipped his holy name. And Jesus willingly cast that aside to come to earth to be born of a virgin. He lived a, a perfect life. He never, never did anything wrong. He lived the life we have not lived. He, he did all the things we should have done but haven't done. But despite the, the good that he did and the teachings that he gave and the miracles he performed, he was rejected by the people. He was betrayed by one of his inner circle. He was turned over to the Romans. He had an unjust trial and he was crucified on a Roman cross and He died. But the death on the cross wasn't a surprise. It was the entire reason He came. Everything in Jesus' life was leading to the cross. He did not come just to teach us good things. He did not come just to be an example. He came to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He came to take the penalty that you and I deserved. And after taking all of God's wrath against all of our sins... Jesus died and he stayed in the tomb for three days. And on the third day, he arose and he ascended to heaven. And now he ever lives to make intercession for us. And he said, all who call upon him shall be saved. And Jesus did not go through all of that and endure all that happened on the cross so that we could say, look at what I did. Jesus did not endure hell on the cross so that we could earn our way to heaven. I like what the Bible says. I I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. You see, if I determine that I'm good enough to go to heaven, if I determine that my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, therefore I deserve to go to heaven, what I'm saying is, I didn't need Jesus to die for me. Jesus' death on my account was a waste of his time and his effort and his pain because I don't need it. I can do it on my own. And that is the opposite of the gospel message. The gospel message absolutely is you cannot do it on your own. The book of Isaiah says that all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. Our righteousness, that's our good deeds. The very best that you and I can do apart from Jesus is a filthy rag. And there's a couple of pictures that go along with that. One is that of a leper wrapping up their sores. If you've read much about leprosy, you know that their sores kind of oozed and they were nasty and runny and bloody and disgusting and they would wrap them up with cloth and after the cloth had absorbed it they had to change it well once something had that much filth on it it couldn't be cleansed it was just taken and burned because it was it was unusable after that can you imagine someone holding up a rag like that and saying look what i did i'm awesome i did this all by myself We we can't even imagine touching something like that, much less lifting it up in pride, saying, look at what I've done. Yet when we lift up our good deeds to God and say, I deserve it because of what I've done. It's what we're saying. Jesus died for our sins. And if anything other than his death could pay the penalty, could make a way for us to heaven, then Jesus died in vain. The gospel says that is simply not the case. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. And it's either or. Either we have salvation as a gift received by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. Or we do not have salvation at all. It's not about what I have done. It's not about what me and Jesus have done. Salvation is all about what Jesus Christ has done. And Jesus says, and I will declare to them, I never knew you. And and I think the I never knew you part is key. Because if I know Jesus, and I know the one who died on the cross for my sins, and I know what he endured in my place, I could never look at him and say, yeah, you helped, but I kind of I carried the ball over the line. I, I did it on my own. A person who knows Jesus says, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. A person who, who truly knows Jesus says, Yes, Lord, I, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I will serve you. I will follow you. I will obey you. And whatever you want... That's what I'll do. And in the end, no matter what I do or where I go, in the end, my salvation, my hope is still rooted and grounded in one thing. Who you are and what you have done for me on the cross. Fans trust in themselves. Followers trust in Jesus. So let me ask you today, who? Or what are you trusting in to get to heaven? Who or what are you trusting in for your salvation? If I were to go through the room and say, are you saved? Are you going to heaven? Most would probably say yes. But if we examined our lives, as Scripture said, would our examination bear out the truth? Bible says, Examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. And what I like about this verse is Paul doesn't say, Have you prayed a prayer? He didn't ask that. He didn't say, Have you been baptized? Are you a faithful spouse? Do you go to church? He said, look at your life, and as you look at your life, do you see that Jesus is with you? Do you see evidence of Jesus Christ changing you and guiding you and making a difference in your life? And if not, you need to understand that you have failed the test. If you examine your life today... And you look at your life in light of just what we've talked about this morning. Of what you're trusting in. Of what you do. Does your life bear out that Jesus Christ is with you? If it does not, then you need to understand that you have failed the test. And you need to do something about it. See, Jesus did not come and endure all that he did on the cross so that we would live and die without him. His goal, his purpose was that you and I repent of our sins and we would believe in him and we would be saved. That we would know him in this life and we would be with him in the life to come. But that, that is your decision. That is something that, that you must do. That you must accept responsibility for your sins. I mean, that is a key thing. We are a culture of blame where nothing is ever our fault. Someone always forced me to act the way I acted. Nothing I've ever done is ever my fault. Scripture says you must first accept responsibility for your sins. You must accept that you have violated God's standards. And you must accept the fact that the wages of your sin is death and that you cannot fix it on your own. Then you must believe in Jesus. You must believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. You must believe that he rose on the third day. You must believe that he will save you. And then you must call on Jesus to save you. No one can make that decision for you. As much as I want my daughters to be saved, I cannot call on Jesus to save them. They must do it themselves. It is their decision Their salvation hinges on whether or not they call upon Jesus. It's the same for you. Having a husband or a wife that's a Christian won't save you, having parents that were Christians won't save you. You must make the decision to call upon Jesus. And if you call upon the Lord, the Bible promises you will be saved. At that point, you move from being a fan to a follower. And knowing Jesus will change your life forever. Let's stand.